Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. As I said to the children, I hope that you've had a good Christmas morning. Um, I know at my house it's, it's been hectic for sure since last night. Um, but thankful to be here. Thankful that we can take some time now to pause and to approach God's word and just I hope be encouraged and I hope be um, strengthened in our faith just to, to consider um, these things related to the birth of Christ. And so before we read um, our text, uh, let's pray. Our Father, at this time, we ask that you speak to us through your word. Maybe in a, a fresh way that maybe we haven't heard in a while. In a way that maybe we're listening a little bit more closely this morning. That we might see Christ more clearly. We might love Christ more dearly. And that this day would not just be about the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season. But that, Father, for, for us in our hearts, that this day would be about your Son. Clear our hearts and minds of all the many things that we've done and that maybe are planned for this evening. And Father, give us focus for the next few minutes. We'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have found Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, say word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I'm going to break down this text very simply. 
with these three main characters, Mary, Joseph, and the main character, which is Christ. First, let's talk this morning a little bit about Mary. Um, we've, I think she's, you know, of at least of the couple, Mary and Joseph, she's certainly been one who has taken and I think abused her past, abused the way that we should view her, uh, things taken out of Scripture and turned and twisted. Um, a few things, for example, these are kind of four, four main views that uh, Catholics, for example, have of the Virgin Mary. The first one is uh, the Theotokos, which is that Mary is the mother of God, and we know that Jesus is God, and Mary gave birth to Jesus. So in that sense, she was the mother of Christ, the mother of God, but they often take that phrasing and, and try to make it more than that, as if God originated with her, in a sense. And I've read of those kinds of things, and so that's a view to be careful with. The second view to be careful with about Mary is the perpetual virginity of Mary. You know that they believe, many believe, that Mary was a virgin before, uh, during, and after the birth of Christ, that she was always a virgin. I'm going to show you in Scripture why that's wrong. The third thing that, that uh, Catholics, for example, believe is the Immaculate Conception, which is that they believe Mary was conceived without a sin nature, without uh, original sin. And the fourth thing that many believe, some believe, is called the Assumption, which is that Mary was taken body and soul into heaven. So let me give you a few things that we know about Mary from Scripture that I think refutes those uh, misunderstandings. The first thing is this, Mary was a Jew descended from the tribe of Judah. Now it's in Matthew and in Luke where we see her, her background. Luke specifically, I think, speaks more to uh, to Mary and her background as descending from the tribe of Judah. Another thing about her that we see directly in our text is that she was betrothed to Joseph. Look with me at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. So what does it mean in biblical times to be espoused? We know what it means in our time to be engaged, right? A couple usually dates for a while. Eventually, the woman pressures the man. Just kidding. And then he gets down on the knee. He asks her to marry uh, him. She usually says yes. And then they hang out for whatever, months or a year, whatever it might be. And they finally get married, right? They go to that wedding. They have the ceremony. The, the preacher signs the, the document, and it's official, right? It is done. Um, it was a lot different back in Bible times. In Bible times, oftentimes the parents would be the ones kind of setting these arrangements up anyway. But, but these couples would be not engaged, but be uh, espoused or betrothed to one another. But this betrothal is much more serious than our view of engagement, much more binding. As a matter of fact, look at verse 19 in your text. To, to get away from this betrothal, uh, he was going to have to divorce her or put her away. And so their betrothal was much more serious than our engagement, for example. And so they were at a point in this situation, in this relationship, where her coming up pregnant uh, was, a, was a big, big deal. So much so that, again, verse 19, he would have to divorce her. And so it was not until later that they would consummate the marriage. And so they're this couple, they're 
together going through this journey, but they've yet, not yet consummated the marriage. A third thing I want to show you about Mary, and it's not necessarily in our text, but it's just true. Mary was a sinner. Do you, do you agree with that? Mary was a sinner. When Paul wrote, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, Mary did not get an exemption from that, did she? Now, there's a lot of great things about her. We're going to look at some of those in a minute. But one of those great things about her was not this, her sinlessness because she was, as we are, not perfect, a sinner. Only Christ is perfect. As a matter of fact, in Luke 1.47, she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary knew she needed a Savior. She knew she was a sinner. The fourth thing I want you to see about Mary is that she received the grace of God. She received the grace of God. In Luke 1.28, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the phrasing, O favored one, means with much grace. Mary was one who received grace from God. A fifth thing about her, and, and maybe the most important thing about her as far as this day is concerned, is that Mary uh, was a virgin when she gave birth. Look at verse 18. It says in the middle of that verse, before they came together, before they had intimate relations, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. Go to verse 23, quoting the book of Isaiah, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. We believe, we hold to the truth, that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Christ. The sixth thing about her is that the Holy Spirit worked in her. Verse 18, she was found to be uh, pregnant with a child from the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Ghost. In some miraculous way that only God knows, He caused her to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We remind ourselves of this, by the way, at our church almost every week when we recite the Apostles' Creed together. We say... I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that truth. The seventh thing about her, and I want to say it this way, is the perpetual virginity of Mary that many believe is an unbiblical doctrine. It's unbiblical to say that she was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ, that is trying to lift Mary on a pedestal that she does not belong on. In verse 25, look what it says. Joseph took her, and he knew her not until she had brought her firstborn son. So he did not know her until. But once she did give birth to Christ, he did know her. You know Jesus had brothers and sisters? Did y'all know that? I think many people knew that. Matthew 12, 46 it says, while Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers came and stood outside asking to speak to him. In Matthew 13, 55, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude? In Mark 6, 3, they ask it again. And in Mark 6, they actually add this phrase, and aren't his sisters here with us? So we know Mary had other children after Christ, and we believe that Joseph surely for most of those, was the father. One, the, the eighth truth about Mary 
is that Mary was a believer. Think about the ways in which we can know Mary believed in Christ. First, God chose her, right? He came to her and said, you're the favored one. You're the you're much grace. God is with you, the angel said. How about in John 2 when there's the wedding going on and they're lacking the drink and, and they need wine and Mary goes to Jesus and he's like, she's like, hey, help these guys. Help, help them out. And Jesus is like, hey, it's not my time yet. And Mary looks at the people and she says, to the servants, and she says, do whatever he says. It's like she was showing, I think there's some faith that I know this, I know he can do something here. And then all the way to the cross, she's there as her son lays down his life. And the last time Mary is mentioned is in Acts chapter 1 with the disciples in prayer before the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. We have every reason to believe that Mary was a believer. Number nine, Mary acted exemplary in an extraordinary situation. As best we can tell, Mary handled herself with grace and humility. As best we can tell, Mary handled herself better than probably most of us would in that same situation, with grace and humility. A tenth truth about Mary is, is though we don't have it recorded in Scripture, we can assume, based on Hebrews 9, 27, that Mary died just like everyone else. That Mary died and her body was buried. We don't have any evidence to believe that she had some kind of uh, ascension to heaven like Christ did. Two final things about Mary. Number 11, she's to be respected, but not to be praised or adored in that way. And number 12, Mary does not hear our prayers nor does she mediate between us and God. Church, this is important for us to know and make sure we, we make this distinction here. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Mary. Let's go to the second one, which is, of course, Joseph. Um, I read this story about Joseph. I want to share it with you. Um, there was this grade school they were having a play about G, uh, Joseph, Mary, and the inn. And one little boy, he, he wanted to be Joseph so bad. Like, that was his goal. He was really wanted to be Joseph. Well, when it came down time to get the parts, his biggest rival got the part of Joseph. He, the guy, it's like his enemy in school. He got Joseph, and the boy was given the part of, his name was John, but John was given the part of the, the innkeeper. And so, during all the rehearsals, John's the innkeeper, and he's mad. He wants to be Joseph. He's bitter about it. And he, he's, doing, he's acting right, but he's like, how can I get back at this guy? I'm so mad at this guy. And so he, he kept plotting and thinking, well, during the actual performance, Mary and Joseph walk across the stage. They knock on the door of the inn. John opens the door, and he says, hey, how might I help you? And Joseph says, well, we need a room for the night. And so at that moment, John knew what to do. And as the innkeeper, as Joseph and Mary stood there, the innkeeper said, I've got the perfect room for you right back here. Come on in. And they were like, because that's not how the story goes, right? And the guy that's playing Joseph is like taken aback. He's like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And so he leans into the, the little the place and he goes, this is not good enough for my wife. We're going to the barn. <laughs> and he grabs her hand and they storm off. And so it backfired on little Joseph. Well, we don't know a lot about Joseph. We just don't know a lot about him. 
Um, but what we do know is, is, is good. First, he was a descendant of David, a Jew. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that. Um, Luke 2 says he lived in Nazareth of Galilee. We know, of course, that he was the husband of Mary. We know this about Joseph, and this is one thing I love about this story, is that he loved his wife even when things were hard. Husbands, he loved his wife even when things got weird or things were difficult or when he probably could have been right to put her away. He loved her through those things. A fifth thing about Joseph is he was the adoptive earthly father of Christ. We know that God the Father is the heavenly father, but Joseph was the earthly father. Let me show you something else about him. The sixth thing about Joseph is that he obeyed God. At least four times, Joseph is told to do something, and all four times he does it. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had told him, and took unto him his wife. In Matthew 2, the angel comes to him and says, Hey, take your child and flee. And he, the Bible says he obeys and does it. Joseph is a man who shows, in the brief stuff we have about him, that he obeyed when God told him to do something. He likely died before the Jesus' ministry began, as best we can tell. We don't have the reference of his death, but it's very likely he died sometime between Jesus' childhood and ministry. To me, when I look at Joseph, he's a life worth imitating in obedience, in love, and, and in faith. Finally, let's go to the most important person in this story, and that is Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ our Lord. Is it important, church, that Jesus be truly God? Is that important? Is it important, church, that God be truly man? He had to be, didn't he? Is he fully God and fully man? Yes, he had to be. Let me tell you why. This comes from the Halliburg Catechism. It says he must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which is sinned should pay for sin. So Jesus had to become man so that he could identify with us and suffer like us and suffer in our place and sympathize with us. Why must he be God? Well, he had to be God to bear the weight of God's wrath in his humanity. No man alone could bear the wrath of God but Christ, as fully God and fully man, could bear it. Jesus had to be truly God so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure us for life. And so I like this shorthand of these things. The Redeemer, Christ, had to be truly human in order to suffer and sympathize, and the Redeemer, Christ, had to be truly divine in order to satisfy and secure. Jesus Christ, our Lord, was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Another thing about Jesus, and we'll find this in verse 23, is that he is Emmanuel, which is to say God with us. Church, we do not have a God who is not with us. We do not have a God who is not around or who cannot come down and, and work with us in our life situations and help us through our life situations. 
we have a God who is great and far off, but also near. He is transcendent, yet he is also imminent. The idea of this Isaiah quote in verse 23 is to me very interesting because it comes from Isaiah 7.14, and we only usually hear it at Christmas. But of course, we know that this verse, there's context to it in the Old Testament. And one, um, one commentator I was reading on this talked about how King Ahaz in the Old Testament was a king who was struggling because his people were being hurt and being hindered, and he was being fought by nations around them. And this king's faith was kind of waning. And so when Isaiah said, there's going to be a child named Emmanuel, it's going to remind you that God is with you. Uh, many commentators believe there was actually a, a child named Emmanuel in his day. And it was a reminder to him that though your faith is waning, don't quit, don't give up on God because God is near you. God is with you. And we know in a much, much, much greater sense when we read this in Matthew 1, 23, and he says, this one who is coming is Emmanuel, God with you, God with us. We know in a much greater sense, it's a reminder to us that God does not leave us alone. That God, though our faith at times may waver, God has, ha, does not waver. And he is with us. And no greater way is he with us than when he sent his son to be like us, to take on flesh and dwell among us. Verse 21 is my fourth point about Christ here, and it's this. I love verse 21. They sh she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is similar to the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. I love that because his name is also his mission. Uh, Yahweh saves. That's who Jesus is. He comes to save. And so many people believed, they believed that Jesus came to, to save them from Rome or from oppression. But we know Jesus came to save his people from their sins, according to this text. Someone said this years ago. I'm not sure who said it, but I always, it, it, it always stuck in my mind. They said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would send us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness of sin. So God sent us a Savior. Something else in verse 21 that, that stands out to me is, who does Christ come to save? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save who? his people, from their sins. This is important. Now, obviously, there's Jews and Gentiles, but we know, Scripture tells us, God saves people from every tribe, tongue, nation, so this is not just speaking just of Jews. But it doesn't say here that Jesus came to save all people from their sins. It says Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We know that not all people and this is a, a, a negative note on a happy Christmas morning, but not all people will receive Christ as Savior. Not all people will have forgiveness of sins. Not all people will have eternal life, right? Listen to what Matthew 7 says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Most people, even on this beautiful Christmas morning, most people do not know Christ in this world. You know that? Most people in this world, most people in America do not know Christ. You know that? Can I go farther with you? The majority of people that live in Mississippi do not truly know Christ based on just what we see. So, it's just a reminder to us that Christ came with a mission to save sinners. That's what he came to do. He didn't come just to be born so that we could celebrate with gifts and food and family, although that's great. He came, he was born, as we sang earlier, he was born to die, right? He was born to live a perfect life and lay that life down for us. You shall call his name Jesus. Look at verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he might save his people from their sins. Is that what it says? You shall call his name Jesus, for he could save his people from their sins. Is that what it says? You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall or will save his people. The Jesus we serve, the Jesus we celebrate, and we might think about him this morning as that baby, the Jesus we serve grew up and accomplished the mission that his name stood for. Yahweh saves. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, the same in substance and equal with Him. He made the world and sustains and governs everything He made. When the fullness of time came, He took upon Himself human nature with all essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but He was without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit came down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus, He was born of a woman from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Two whole, perfect, distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without converting one into the other or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet he is one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. Do you know this Christ this morning? Do you know him? Let's pray.